0: that better? <laughs> Sorry. My fault. Before we look at these two passages, I want us to pray again together and uh, pray for another church um, around us. A little over two years ago, we started a, a church in Rockwall, Cross Point Community Church, and we sent several families with them. And I want to lift them up this morning uh, and then pray for our own hearts as we um, hear from God's Word. And as we praise him and worship him in song and with our offerings as we come together, that they would be doing the same and that they would be knowing and praising uh, the same God and and knowing and praising in the same way that we do. And uh, just thanking God for that church. Y'all pray with me. God, we lift up uh, Cross Point Community Church in, in Rockwall. We pray for uh, Lance and Kai and Ryan and... Uh, their deacons that lead with them and um, just so thankful for a, a faithful group that sets up for church every week in the YMCA and then breaks down uh, their gathering uh, and works hard to make sure that they have a place to meet um, and the work that goes into that I pray you give them diligence thank you for good teaching good preaching gospel centered God centered preaching over there for like-mindedness. I pray you'd give everyone who serves their encouragement and um, diligence of heart to press on and keep going even when it's difficult. I pray that they would be enjoying you and being caught up in praise this morning because of who you are. And I pray the same thing for us, that we would get caught up in praise because of who you are this morning. As we hear from David getting caught up in praising you for who you are. We pray that you would humble our hearts as we listen to your word and that you would humble our hearts as we praise you and are quick to tell others about how good you are. I pray you would send us out from here today on mission to proclaim your goodness And your glory. And that's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Scott mentioned a few weeks ago that this psalm, we'll be wrapping up this this psalm today, Psalm 16, that it ends with high praise that David has cried out to God, preserve me. You remember desperation, dependence, and deliverance as a marker of the journey of faith for a believer. And that's the marker for David that marks his life. And he's cried out to God, knowing that there's no good in him, but only good with God. This love for God's people, this real hesitancy, this real warning to run anywhere else but God. For any sort of joy or happiness or peace. In fact, running other places will just multiply your sorrows. And we trust him because he gives us portions and cups. He blesses us with just what we need in the moment, daily. And now the psalmist moves into this high praise. He's, He's praising God. And if you're a note taker, I just want to give you two things that are going to be really key to connecting and wrapping up this psalm this morning. And it's two reasons why praise is important. Why is it important that we recognize that the psalmist is praising God here? Why is it important that we know what praise is? And why is it important that we get caught up in it? Okay? There's there's two reasons why praise is important. And number one, praise is important is because if he is not praised, he is not known. If he is not praised by his people, then he is not known. And the second key to understanding how this psalm wraps up is that if I am not characterized as one that praises him, I am in danger, I am vulnerable to find any other place for happiness and joy. If I'm not characterized as one that praises him, I am in danger of looking elsewhere for happiness and joy. That's the connection that the psalmist will make this morning. Number one, if he is not praised, then he's not known. Number two, if I'm not characterized as one that praises him, then I'm in danger of looking for happiness and joy somewhere else. Which, verse 4 says, will only multiply the troubles and the sorrows that I experience. Will only bring more trouble to me. To consider anywhere else to look for happiness and joy except in him. Praise is both telling God how good He is and telling others how good He is. Praise is telling God how good He is and making it known to others how good He is. This this subject of praise is tricky for a preacher because how am I supposed to um, exhort God's people to praise when half the time we probably really don't feel like praising, if we're honest? Right? If we're really honest, praise does not always come, especially when things are tough. And so it's not something that you just wake up and think, praise the Lord, right? There's plenty of things in your life, right, to make you wake up and that not be your first thought. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for who he is. Praise the Lord. You see, hear the psalmist say over and over praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And for a pastor, It's tempting for me to say, okay, I can come at you like this. You should examine your praise life. You should examine it like you examine your Bible study and examine your prayer life. You should be people that praise and somehow berate you into praise. It's tempting. It's tempting because I want you to praise. We should praise. But that's not what we're going to do. That's not what the psalmist does. He does not berate us into praise. And so I'm not going to berate you into praising God for who he is. Do I challenge you to praise like me? Do we start comparing? And look at that guy. He's praising the Lord. You should praise like him. That's not helpful. Christopher Ashe is a uh, professor and preacher from England, and he used this illustration And it's the illustration of the wave at sporting events. Y'all know what I'm talking about? When people start doing the wave. Have you ever been to a sporting event and one section starts standing up to do the wave and the wave goes around and it looks like a wave when people stand up and sit down? Now, I'm going to set aside a lot of angst in this illustration right now because if you're one of those people that tries to start the wave, please stop. (laughs) Stop. I get so frustrated. The people who want to start the wave at the ranger game are always sitting right by me. Seems like. So please don't do that. But he uses this illustration of being in a crowd and a wave begins. And it starts. And so the illustration here is if you are sitting down and you understand this, that wave, you didn't initiate it, And it's not up to you, really, individually to sustain it. Praise to God is not up for you and I to start. And it's not up to us, individually, to sustain it. Remember what the Psalms say. The rocks will cry out. He will get his praise. Right? He's being praised. And he will get his praise for who he is. And so the decision for us, and the question is... Will we, when the wave of praise comes along, will we choose to whoo, Will we choose to be a part of the praise? That's the question. And so that's the question. David's praising, and he's inviting us in. And the wave's coming. And the the question this morning is will you? And don't listen, don't get any bright ideas. I'm going to speak for Clint and the worship team, okay? We're not going to start that here. I don't think that would be helpful. But that's the question for each one of us this morning is will we, as David begins to praise, will we choose to, yes, yes, praise him, praise him. And so that's what David invites us to do here in verse 10. And the psalmist provides the why. Why praise him? Because you, you kind of need something to grab onto, and that's what David gives us here in verse 10. Let's just read verse 10 first, and then we'll move to verse 11. He says two things. For you, O God, he's talking to God, he's praising God, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. First of all, you will not abandon my soul to hell. And for the Old Testament saint here, for David, now for us, this is prophetic, okay? But for David, the Old Testament saint, he would be thinking immediate. You're not going to let the circumstance around me right now kill me. No immediate death for me. He just said in verse 9, my flesh dwells secure, right? And so David is praising God in that. This circumstance I'm in right now is not going to immediately kill me. Praise the Lord. Right? That's it's reason to praise the Lord. That my circumstance won't immediately bring death. Praise you. My flesh dwells secure. Remember Psalm 94, he says this. Unless the Lord had given me help, I would soon have dwelt in the silence of death. When I said, my foot is slipping... Your unfailing love, Lord, supported me. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. It's God's presence and knowledge that he's not going to leave me right now and he's not going to ever abandon me to hell. Ever. And it's also prophetic. I don't know how much David knew. I don't know the specifics that he knew about how God would provide a way for him to never go to hell and hell is not being with God. And we'll explain that just a little bit more in a minute. I don't know how he knew, I don't know what all he knew as far as the prophetic side of this, but you won't just be present with me now, but I will get to be with you forever. I will get to be with you forever he says and you won't let your holy one see corruption it's prophetic because hell is not being with God and I know that we can think that hell would be more pain punishment suffering, heartache Jesus describes it as much And it is those things because God's not there. That's why it's those things. It's not simply the absence of bad things. The good news of the gospel is that we get to be with and enjoy Him. We get to be with and enjoy who He is. It's called the glory of God. And we'll look closer at that in a minute. The glory of God is what we get to enjoy, not just now maybe in glimpses, but fully. And we get to be with Him. 1 Peter 3.18 says this, Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? So that we don't have to go to hell. So that we don't have to have pain and struggle in life anymore. No, that's not what He says. Peter says, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. God is the gospel. Hell is not being with him. Not having his presence. Not having who he is available. Not having who he is at our right hand. I, uh, I told you I'd been reading this book, God is the Gospel. And I'm, I'm rereading it. And it's a great companion to reading through Psalms. And I don't have my head wrapped around it. I, have, I mean, I'm reading it for the second time. And I'm still kind of... Reminded, and, and I'm, I don't even know how to even articulate it. I don't have time this morning to articulate what all is meant by God is the gospel. But Peter says that Christ died to bring us to him. He, he died so that we would know him and be with him and know him fully. And eventually, one day, we will know him fully forever. And that is what David says is worth high praise. He goes on to say in verse 10, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. Obviously, David knows he'll die at some point. And um, even Peter says, you know, David went into a tomb and his body corrupted. Okay? It did. It decayed. But what David is saying here is, you will not let my soul pay for its sin." He may not even be sure how. But he knows that God will provide a way eventually that will set him apart. Set him apart from the decay and everything else that dies and is transient and temporal. He will not let my soul corrupt. David knew that God would make a way. In fact, what David is doing is he's declaring himself here exempt from the grave. Yeah, My body may rot, but the grave won't get me. It won't get my soul. Death won't get me. He's saying, I'm exempt. When the grave accuses me and says, I got you, David says, not me. My daughter Lily was uh, signed up for a bank and finance class this year. And um, first, second day she showed up for class, Uh, her teacher said, I'm going to give you a 10-question quiz. And if you can get all of them right, every one of these questions right you won't have to do any homework no projects and you get 100 across the board all you got to do is take two tests you get all 100s no homework and you don't have to do any projects pretty sweet i mean especially for a 15 year old i don't know about you if you can remember back that far but she takes the quiz and realizes that she's gotten six right Then seven, then eight, then nine. Missed number ten. You know that feeling that you just had? I heard a a couple groans. Oh. Wouldn't it have been sweet for her to say, man, got all ten right. Exempt, right, from the homework. That feeling that you just had of, oh, man. And the grave stares at every one of us. It's our greatest enemy today. And the grave points a finger at you and me and says, 10 out of 10 or I got you. 10 out of 10 or you're mine. 10 out of 10 and I will corrupt you and your soul. And David says, exempt. Ha! <laughs> Praise the Lord. Exempt from the grave. The grave stares at us and says 10 out of 10. Think 10 out of 10 commandments. You don't get it right, 10 out of 10. I got you. And David says, not me. I'm exempt from the corruption of my soul. I will not pay for my sin. Verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. When I first read that, I don't know if you're more spiritual than me. You probably are. But my first thought is, when I read something like that, you make known to me the path of life, I immediately just think about, okay, so what's the secret code, David? Right? What's the, what's the secret code? You're probably talking about not just the path of life and you get to be with him forever, but there's, a, there's, there's some sort of code for a good life, right? That's, that's where my... Thought went, And so the, the emphasis for me in this phrase is the path of life. Somehow, God has made it known to David that he could have a good life. And yet, in the original language, the emphasis here is, watch this, you make it known to me. There is no doubt in David's mind that God is life. God is life. There's there's no other life apart from him. There's no doubt in his mind. What is blowing him away and what is praiseworthy is that he's made it known to me. He made it known to me. He revealed it to me. Praise him. He's made it known to me. There's a real intimacy here and a clinging to the only thing that will bring him real life. This is not just an academic assent to God or claiming to know everything about Him. This is David praising God for revealing Himself to David. Can that be enough for us? This morning again to remember and praise the Lord. Why? Because we miss hell? How about let's praise Him that He has revealed Himself to us. He has made the path of life known to us. Praise the Lord. He goes on. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. Here again. My mind and my eye go straight to fullness of joy. Man, how can you make me happy? How can you, I want fullness of joy in my life. I want to be happy. I want to be joyful when I don't feel like it. It's hard sometimes, but I want that. I want to know fullness of joy. And here again, the emphasis is not on necessarily the fullness of joy. The emphasis here is your presence. Your presence is the only place where there's fullness of joy. In your presence, you are a good fatherly hand overseeing me, and and I behold you, and you hold me joy. Not joy just because he's a stoic God that gives us good things. Not that kind of joy. Does that make sense? Not just being happy because some distant God decided to kind of bless me, but this is knowing and being in the presence of a blessed God. He is ultimately joyful. God is happy. He is glad and happy infinitely on His own. He is happy and blessed through His Son. He's happy and blessed in the Spirit. They are happy and blessed together. And this isn't I don't want to make that sound disingenuous. Like the stick, the smiley face sticker, you know, you've seen those, and people who have them, it just is like it's screaming. I'm happy, you're not. I'm happy, and even when I'm really not, it's kind of fake, disingenuous, that word happy. You know, it sounds more biblical to say, you know, gladness of heart or joyous. But for us. It's happy he's joyful and genuinely happy he is a blessed God remember what Jesus says at the end of the age in Matthew 25 at the end of the age he will say to you well done my good and faithful servant enter into what the joy of your master he is infinitely joyful infinitely happy in himself, And he's happy to invite us in. He's happy for us to be a part of it. And to know him and be a part of his fullness of joy. Enter into the joy of your master. In 1 Timothy 1, at the end, in the end of that chapter 1, he, he has been giving some instructions and, and trying to help Timothy get the ship corrected there at this church, and he has this phrase. It's the only place he uses this adjective to describe God. He says, all these things I'm giving you instruction according to the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. According to the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. It's the only time he uses that. Adjective to describe God. And what he's saying is blessed. It's the same word in the Beatitudes. Blessed are. And it means happy. Joyful. Fortunate. Enjoyable. He is a blessed God. He is a happy God. And he invites us in. We talk about the glory of God a lot. And I know you've probably heard pastors, preachers, us talk about it. I've already mentioned it three times this morning. What is this, the glory of God? You know, get, get wrapped up in the glory of God. Enjoy the glory of God. And we've seen enough movies that maybe your mind immediately goes to, you know, effects, right? Glory, lights and sounds, glory. What does that even mean? The glory of God. And the glory of God, maybe this will help you this morning. The glory of God is who He is. And we get wrapped up in the glory of God when we enjoy all that He is. When we know who He is and we enjoy who He is, we are getting wrapped up in the glory of God. We are involved in the glory of God. So maybe this will help you to kind of get a hold of something this morning. Because what David's saying is, in God's presence, there is full joy and full happiness. In His presence, through His Word, His presence through His people, by His Spirit, in His presence in my prayer, in His presence in listening to Him, there's joy. And this is, stands in great contrast to verse 4. Look back at verse 4. the sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply so we must ask ourselves what is it that you think you think makes you the most happy what is it that makes us we think makes us the most happy is your work your wife your husband your marriage right That's the place I seek to find the most fulfillment, joy, and happiness. Your kids—is that where you seek the most joy and happiness and fullness of joy in your kids? Maybe it's in your church. And and, man, you said, man, the the church is the place. Only place I find real happiness is at the church. All good things, friendships, good food, hobbies. The things God's called you to, if you hear him call you to something, you can find great joy in that and happiness and fulfillment. All the things I just mentioned are really good things from the Father, right? Good friendships, ministry, church, good food. I need to say that again. Hobbies, all good things from the Father to enjoy and that he gives us to enjoy but how awful to get to the end of my life and that's all I've enjoyed how awful to get to the end of my life and look back and it be filled with me holding tightly to the gifts of God and forget to or miss him and enjoy him for who he is we we walk a fine line in our faith. A fine line between enjoying good gifts and then holding so tightly to the good gifts that if, if they're ever taken away, listen, if they're ever taken away, we can't be happy. Let me say that again. We walk a fine line of holding to good gifts from the Father and making an idol out of them. We walk a fine line. David, I can't imagine here. I know this is heavy. Even when I write it, wrote it the other day, I'm like, wow. I can't imagine or fathom losing a child. I just imagine all happiness and all joy gone. I can't imagine it. I get hacked off when I don't get good food. I mean, you look down at this list. I don't get to do my hobby. I don't get, uh, I'm not as happy. And that's what's been convicting for me, is to enjoy the one that is infinitely blessed, the one who is infinitely happy, infinitely joyful. And that's what David says. And by the way, David lost a child. David lost a lot. Some of it the consequence of his own sin. And he says, he says, fullness of joy is not found in things that are transient. All of these things I listed will go away. Your job, hobbies, I'm infinitely happy. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. The last thing he says is pleasures forevermore. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So again, in his presence, there are more pleasures. He's not listing them, but he's, the, the emphasis here is forevermore. It's never going to end. All these things that are transient, that I'm finding and grabbing for happiness, that will go away, you won't. You'll never end. You won't abandon me, and I get to enjoy you. Not just now, but forever. Forever and fully, and it will never end. What he's talking about is heaven. Heaven being a place where we enjoy him forever. Will heaven be great and pleasurable because we get to see loved ones? I, I imagine so. I do. I David even was encouraged that he was going to get to see his son that died. So yeah, it'd be pleasurable that we get to be reunited with loved ones and friends that have passed away. Get to see old pets, maybe? I don't know. Maybe? Is that a good thing? Sure. But for David, it was at God's right hand where perfect pleasure, joy happiness, gladness will be found finally and forever by sight not just by faith by sight fully taking it in not just wondering not not being able to see but fully being able to take in real happiness real joy that doesn't ever stop, pause or end doesn't even pause just more goodness and happiness and joy In Him, in His glory. I think that we have maybe, I know I have, I'm speaking personally, maybe we have kind of shied away from being obsessed with or talking a lot about heaven. There's this idea, that a lot of people have said it, that you can become so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. You all ever heard that? that? People that just go around singing about heaven, talking about heaven, can't wait to get to heaven. And, and, and it can kind of seem like, well, they're they're of no earthly good. You know I, I have a I have a real tension in my own life with Southern gospel music, okay? There's this tension where I love it, because I grew up on a lot of it, because all they seem to sing about is heaven. Now that's an unfair characterization. However, I'm just telling you the tension that's going on here, right? Can we sing about something else besides heaven? And so we can kind of think in terms of somebody walking around talking about heaven, all they sing about is heaven, 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 are you any earthly good at all? And it's been said by many a preacher the problem with that is I've never met that person. I've never met a person who is so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly good. Now, of course, that person's out there, I'm sure that is so wrapped up in heaven, so wrapped up in what's going to be, that they kind of use that as an excuse to live however they want and be a part of whatever they want to in ministry or let chips fall where they may and not be responsible because, hey, we're all going to heaven, right? So I can, I can imagine that be possible. I just haven't met that person. It's the people who are hopeful, the people who are thinking about the next life, thinking about the new heavens and the new earth, thinking about... Fully enjoying our God forever. It's those people who are the most happy that I've met and joyful. Who endure when these other things get taken away. They're steady. C.S. Lewis says this. A continual... Looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some people think, a form of escapism or it's not wishful thinking. It's just one of the things a Christian is supposed to do. A continual looking forward to an eternal world, pleasures forevermore, eternal world is not escapism or wishful thinking, but it is a thing a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we're to leave the present world as it is If you read history, you will find that Christians who did the most in this present world were just those who thought the most of the next. The apostles set foot on conversion in the Roman Empire. Great men who built up the Middle Ages. The English evangelicals. Those that abolished the slave trade. All left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. Pleasures forevermore. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of heaven that they have become so ineffective in this world. This is the substance of David's praise. We will get to be with him forevermore. Hallelujah. Paul rounds this out. I'll close with this. He rounds this out in a, in a passage in 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18. You can turn there if you'd like. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18. He kind of wraps this praise up because I think we may be sitting there going, yeah, Brad, you know what? Um, I'm still not getting up and doing the wave. And that's okay. I, I, that you're being honest. If you're saying... I'm still not standing up and being a part of the wave. Listen to Paul. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. So, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. No corruption. You hear that? Our inner self being renewed. Not corrupted, but renewed for this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. Remember, glory being all that He is. Things that you can't even think or imagine. This weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to things that are seen, don't grab a hold of the good things. Don't grab a hold of those good things so tightly that if you're ripped out of your hand, you're not going to be happy but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They go away. But the things that are unseen are eternal. And I hope that we would be people who are caught up in praise. Caught up in the praise of God. Because remember what we said at the beginning. When I am not characterized as someone who is caught up in praising God for who he is and why David praises. Remember this, I am in danger of finding my joy and my happiness and my worship placed somewhere else. He has made known to us the path of life. In his presence there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore and I can't wait. Will you all pray with me? Father, as we um, enter into a time of taking the supper, I pray that you would help us examine our hearts. Examine our hearts so that we will rest in and take part in and, and go into, at your invitation, go into, at your invitation, taking part of who you are. And enjoying a happy God that is happily inviting us into being happy in you. And remembering why this morning. That as we take this supper, our hearts praise you for a body broken for us. And a blood that brings a new covenant. I pray you would turn our hearts to that even if we don't feel like it. That we would get caught up in it. And that's our prayer in Jesus' name.